Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys? Good? Thanks for coming this morning. Thanks for being here. You could have done anything this morning and you wanted to be here. And we're, we don't take that for granted or lightly. We're just, we're thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you come and worship. And um, just something Dylan said just now, he said, you know, that, that the seed would, would go into our hearts, that our hearts would be good soil. I was, I was thinking this week about a lot about the, <clears throat> just the soil and, and the seed. And, <clears throat> you know, in the parable of the sower, it says that the seed is the word of God. Jesus is explaining this to the disciples. They say, they come to him and they say, he says, you know, the, some fell on rocky ground, some fell on um, soil where it sprung up quickly, had no roots, some was choked out by thorns, other fell on good soil. And the disciples come to him, so what does this mean? He says, listen, if you don't understand this, you, you won't understand anything. You have to understand this. You have to understand this parable. And he says, the seed is the word of God. And I was just, I was thinking this week a lot about that over and over again of, there's nothing wrong with the seed. It's, it's the word of God. Like, when you take an apple seed and you plant it in the ground, that seed contains everything necessary for an apple tree to spring forth. Branch, leaf, blossom, flower, fruit. And then within the fruit, there's the seed necessary for the cycle to continue. There's something to be passed on. There's something to ensure that's not the last apple tree, that that's not the last apple. And yet, even though there's everything necessary within that seed, Jesus said there's sometimes that seed, that perfect word of God that contains everything necessary would go on to some places, that there would be times where it's, it's spoke, there's times where it's preached, and yet, even though it's perfect, it contains everything that it needs to reproduce itself and to produce what God wants for it to produce. He actually said that there's something going on sometimes in our hearts that would keep that from accomplishing what's inside of it and the potential of that word. And I just, I just was just contemplating that over and over again this week that what a big deal it is what we do with the word. That we don't just hear it. You know, James talks about that. He says, don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers. Like, in other words, when I hear that word come forth, when I hear what God has spoke, when I hear what he said, when I hear his heart, that, that it, it actually comes in, when it comes into my life, that I actually take that and I consider that, and that, that changes who I am. It changes the way that I think. Even if that confronts what I've thought my whole life, maybe especially when it confronts what I've thought my whole life. That when truth comes, it can displace a thousand lies with a single truth. Or it could just fall to the ground. And, and it could be stolen by the enemy. It could be stolen by the enemy. It could be, and, and listen, it, it's not the seed's fault when the enemy comes and steals it. The seed was perfect. The, it, it's not the word that's to blame 
it's the idea that, that we didn't create a place in our life, we didn't create space or room in our lives for that word to actually penetrate and go into the soil where it's not just laying there on the surface. When you hear a word from God, when you open the word and you read and you hear his word, you have to actually do something and make place for that in your life. It, you don't just take that and let it be knowledge that accumulates and builds up on the surface where it can easily be plucked. Then there's other people where it says that, that, that it just didn't have any roots, so it sprang up with joy, but it had no root. And when the sun came, it withered and faded. And then there's other people where it says that, that the, the thorns came, and he says that that was the cares of this life and, and the pursuit of other things. And, and we're the only ones that can actually tend the soil of our hearts. We're the only ones that can actually make sure that it's not a bunch of rocky ground where the seed just lays on the surface wanting and fully capable of reproducing itself inside of us, but yet unable to because of the ground that it's laying on. We can till the garden of our heart. We're the only ones that can make sure that we actually allow that thing to go deep within us, that it doesn't just become something that in a moment causes joy, but the second the sun comes, the second anything changes, it withers and fades. He says that, 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 the, that the enemy came because of the word. In other words, when the word was spoke, because that word came into life, the enemy came to try to take it. That, that, that there's going to be times, I mean, think about Jesus. You know, we talk about this all the time, right? Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The next voice he hears, the voice of the enemy, if you're the son of God. Why? Because he's coming to test the very word that was spoke over Jesus' life. Because he knows if he can get him to doubt what God has said about him, he can get him to live away apart from what, the way God designed him to live. So this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They said, some people said it sounded like thunder. It actually shook when the voice came. Others thought it was an angel because it didn't sound like the voice of a man. Jesus knows it's the voice of the father. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. So he's making a declaration for humanity, but he's also making a declaration over Jesus' life for the sake of Jesus, that, that, that establishing him, making sure, as if he didn't already know, he knew who he was. He's known who he was ever since he was old enough to think about who he was. When he's 12 years old, he tells his parents, why are you surprised that I'm here in the temple? Didn't you know that it was said of me that zeal for his house would consume me? He knew the prophecies over his life. He knew who he was. But even though you know who you are, and even though you have this thing established, and maybe you've walked in it for a long time like Jesus did, there's still something about here hearing the Father's voice declare who you are. And if Jesus needed to hear that, then probably we need to hear the Father's voice and over and over again, let him speak to us and establish in our hearts who we are. Because there's going to be times that will come and there's going to be things that come in this life that will test what's been spoke over your life by the Father. It says the enemy comes, Jesus, when he's talking about the, the, the parable of the soil, this isn't the message, but maybe it'll get to it. But uh, Jesus said when, when, the, when the, 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 the enemy came because of the word that was spoke. In other words, he's laying back, and all of a sudden, God speaks this word over Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it's like when the attention of heaven is focused on a man, the attention of the enemy becomes focused on him too. And it's the word that draws his attention there because he knows the power of that word and he understands. I need to do something to try to pluck that word now in its infancy. It's like a little acorn underneath the ground, right? And, all, and, and it's there. It's been there the whole time. Jesus has always been the son of God. But all of a sudden, when that acorn shoots above the ground just a little bit and the first little twig is made known, suddenly the enemy becomes aware of this thing that's always been. And he realizes, right now is the easiest time for me to try to pluck this thing. 
Right when you start in something, when God speaks something over your life and you step into it and you start on that and and you step into who God's called you to be, trust me, it's going to attract the attention of the enemy. And he's going to come because of the word. He comes because of it. That's what Jesus said. He said he he came because of the word that was spoken. In other words, he realizes if I can rip this thing from him now before he gets established, then I can stop him from being and and, and becoming who God's called him to be. And the easiest time, you realize when when you see an acorn uh, oak tree shoot up out of the ground, you can walk over to it with two fingers. You can pluck it right up out of the ground with two fingers. But you let that thing be for a little while. Let it get watered. Let it get sun. Let it get nourished. Let its roots start to spread and establish themselves. You may have a hard time with your hands pulling it up. Let it go long enough. You can get everyone you know and grab a hold of that tree and, bu- and yank all you want. It's not going to budge. And that's what our lives says we'll be like oaks of righteousness. Meaning what? There's a time where you're being established in something. It's during that time that you need to be really careful and understand that you're walking in something that is attracting the attention of the enemy. Don't be dismayed. In fact, you can let this encourage you because you now know it for what it is. So when you see the enemy come, you can say, oh, you're here because of the word. You're terrified. Because you know this thing that has gone into my heart is starting to put out roots. And you know it's being established. It says that every word of God is established. It's it's becoming established. It's changing me. It's not just something I know anymore. It's becoming who I am. And you see that and you realize right now might be the easiest time for you to come and try to pluck that from my life. I know why you're here. It's no coincidence. It's no coincidence that as something's being established, the enemy's coming to try to uproot it from the ground because he understands the longer that thing grows, the longer that thing has, has time, and the longer that thing is getting what it needs, it's getting watered, it's getting the sun. Jesus said you need the water of the word. It's being established, and then you're learning more of who you are, and suddenly that thing's roots start to grow. And then you start reading more promises of God over your life, and suddenly that thing's really, you're really, now the roots are starting to go deep and establish themselves. And no longer is it just this little pokey twig that's sticking up. Now it starts to split and fork, and the sun beats on it, and the wind blows on it, but it doesn't uproot the tree. It actually just gives it character, and it develops something over time that couldn't be developed if it was living in a vacuum. And as that tree rocks and sways, those roots go out deeper, and they go out wider because it understands, I can't, if I just grow straight like that, if I just stay shallow, then that when the wind comes, it's going to blow me over. But the wind blowing on the thing actually causes the tree to grow even deeper, and it grows even stronger. And suddenly, what was just so easy to pluck out with a finger becomes hard to grab a hold of with two hands and pull, but let it grow a little bit longer even. And then let it come to maturity, and suddenly it starts reproducing itself. And all of a sudden, you look and see that its branches are full of not just leaves, but there's little acorns. Because that thing that was established in the beginning is starting to reproduce itself. And now everything necessary to see that reproduce is contained within the life that you're living. And all of a sudden, other little trees can be shaded under the the span of your branches. And other other things, other creatures, other, other people, other things can benefit from the history that you have. But they've got to make their own. You can, you can benefit from the shade of a tree. But eventually, you have to become your own tree. You, you can live off 
what drops from a tree for a while, but eventually you've got to become your own tree that's capable of dropping so that others can live. And that there's something in that. There's something in that idea of, of even though the word is perfect, even though Jesus said, he said uh, that, that the traditions of men make the word of God of no avail. In other words, there, there's, there's traditions, there's things that were not taught to us by the Father that are passed down from generation to generation that actually oppose the word of God and make the word of God of no avail. Not that it's of no avail wholesale, but it's of no avail in your life because the tradition that you're living in is greater than the truth of the word. And you actually have built up a, a barricade against truth. And so even though the word is true, it doesn't impact and may change your life the way that it could. And there's nothing wrong with the word. It's all about the soil. And I've said this a few weeks ago. I feel like that God's really put it in my heart just to teach through some core things during this summer. And this is one of those core things, and, and, and Dylan actually started talking about it this morning, which was really cool because he has no idea what I'm going to speak on. But, but it's this idea of... of um, it's this idea of, of being a new creation, and we, we talk about that a lot, and we talk about the fact that you're not just you know, a fixed-up version of you, that you're actually a new creation, that the old has passed, the new has come. And, and one of the greatest hindrances, I feel like, to people walking in, in the, the life that Christ died for them to live is this idea that, that our past has so much influence over our present. You realize that, that there are people, not in this room, but that listen to podcasts, that are more influenced by what was done to them in the past by man than by what Jesus did for them on the cross. That if, if you were to sit down and tell the story of your life, that it would actually be more about how people let you down or what people did or didn't do than it would be what Jesus did on a cross and what that did and how that changed everything. I know not in here. But if we don't get over this thing of allowing what was or wasn't done to us or for us, or even things that we did, because some people can't get over the things they've done. Some people actually can't believe that he's able to wipe as if it never happened and live that way. And so they disqualify themselves from receiving what God has for them because every time they hear a promise of God, the thing that they struggle with from their past speaks louder than the promise for their present and for their future. And so it actually becomes this wall that keeps the seed. See, I knew I could tie it together. Because that wasn't my plan, but as for God, his ways are perfect. And so it becomes this barricade that keeps the seed. And so the seed is true, and it, it has everything necessary to reproduce the life of Christ inside of you. But there's something wrong with the soil. And one of the greatest problems that we have with the soil of our heart is this thing called our past. Because if you don't ever live your life forgetting what lies behind and pressing what if the great joy and peace that God promised, you realize that when Jesus came, the angels said, this is great tidings of good news, peace on earth. 
This is glad tidings. This is good news. Great tidings of, of great joy. And what if that joy, that peace, that, that goodness is, is just easily within your reach, but it's just beyond where you can reach while holding on back here? Because Paul said, not that I've attained this thing. He's talking about the perfection. He says, but I reach forward. I strain forward. This one thing I do. Is Paul really saying, like, this is the only thing I do? No, he's saying, listen, the one thing that I do, that I value in this pressing towards the high mark of the calling of Jesus Christ, this is the one thing that I have to do to make sure that I can actually press towards and attain what he has for me. Forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward. But what if it's right there and all you'd have to do is this? But holding on to this is keeping you from being able to reach that. Like, literally, what if it's as simple as that? What if grabbing a hold of these promises that you've heard preached, the things that you read in the Bible that just seem too good to be true, that you disqualify yourself from because you have a special case, you, that is the highest form of pride because we're exalting our knowledge above the knowledge of God, and we're saying, well, I know what God said, but he didn't realize what I would do. No, maybe he knew exactly what you would do, and it's why he sent his son, and his son was actually slain from the foundation of the earth because he knew exactly what you would do. And maybe he thought that his life was worth you, what his life lived was dying, was worth your life living. And maybe he thought that he was actually enough and that if he shed his blood, he could actually forgive and, and forever separate you from the thing that would hold you in the past. But, it, but just, and we, sometimes we think, well, it's, the, the past has such a hold on me. It has no hold on you except what you offer it. None. That's why Paul says, don't give the devil a foothold. Why? He can't take one. You realize the enemy cannot take a foothold in your life? That's why Paul says don't give him a foothold. Why? Because he can't take one, but he'll take every one you give. Every one that you give him. Every little opening that you give him to speak into your life, he will make sure to come and speak. Listen, he doesn't miss much. Now think about it. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Of all the people on all the earth and everywhere that that was going on, he hears that and he had to have heard it because the next words that come from his mouth are in direct challenge to what God spoke. If you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. It's not even about turning the stones to bread. It's about calling into question what God has spoke. See, it's not even about like the thing that you think that you're facing, this, this big struggle. If you could see it from God's perspective, you'd realize it's not that big a deal. It's nothing to the blood of Jesus. It's nothing to the grace and the ability to live and free. It's nothing compared to those things. But it's not, it doesn't even have to do with that. It's just getting you to doubt what God spoke over your life so that you will live your life apart from what he spoke with it available to you at all times and yet living your life as though it's not true. Not because the word isn't true. As for God, his ways are perfect. He's not a man that he should lie. The seed is the word of God. And when the word went forth, it fell here. And because of that, it did not do what God put it forth to do. And I know 
knows the word in Isaiah that says that his word will not return to him void without accomplishing that which he sent it forth to do? Here's the thing. What if what he sent his word forth to accomplish was to reproduce itself in somebody and to make that available, but there's something required of the soil as well, that God's done his part by making that seed available, but it's the soil now. It's the soil of our hearts that we're told to tend. It's the things that we're called to do that actually make that word either produce or not produce in our lives and has nothing to do with God for as for him, his way is perfect. So open your Bibles up. We'll make it official. And, and we've, we've taught out these passages before, but, but I, I, I'm just going to be like Paul and say it's, it's no trouble for me to remind you and tell you these things again. Amen. Because I honestly see this thing. I sit with people and I talk to them. And, and, and what comes from their mouth is so shaded by their past. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, verse 19. Let's start there. But what comes out of their mouth is so colored by, so shaded, so flavored by their past, and yet Jesus is Lord. This thing that was done or, or wasn't done, this, the, the betrayal, the, the, the lack of this or the, the absence of that or the the, the presence of this or what was done and, and, and the things that were done to me or, or the way I was treated or the way that I was spoke to. Listen, I'm not making light of those things. They happen and, and I hate that they do and, 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 and they, they are real in a sense that, that you had to deal with that and, and that's not the way you were made to be treated. That was not the plan or the will of God for your life because people had to clearly violate what God has declared in his word to do those things to you. However, comma, now that you know a greater truth, why are we letting the way that we live be so dictated by a lesser truth? Why is it that a person's actions have more influence and voice in our lives than the actions and the influence of Jesus Christ, who died on a cross? who rose again, who called us into his family, who paid the price for everything, who took every curse that was coming our way, for cursed is every man who... He became the curse of the law, for it's written, cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. Why would, now, why would we let anything other than him be what influences the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see others now the truth has come? This is why this gospel is so amazing. Because here's the thing, when you see that, that, that Jesus died for me, for my sin, not for the world. I, you know it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And sometimes we can get so like, caught up in looking at the big picture and thinking, wow, God so loved the world. But take the step back from that for a second and just realize that it, when it says that, it actually includes you in there. And so you can take that as a singular. For God so loved me that he sent his son to die, so that if I would believe in him, I wouldn't perish. That word perish there means I wouldn't be destroyed. I wouldn't be tormented. I wouldn't be subject to lesser things. That if I would believe him, I wouldn't perish. But I, me, would have everlasting life. Jesus said, for the thief come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you, and 
Yes, everyone, but take that and personalize it. So the thief came to kill and to steal and to destroy, but you came, Jesus, so that I could have life and life to the full, abundant life. See, take these things and personalize them because otherwise you'll believe a general truth for everyone, but you can doubt it for yourself. And the enemy knows he can't change the Father's mind about you, so he'll put all of his effort in changing your mind about the Father and about what he says about you. Well, yeah, I mean, I know that God said that, but has God really said? And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, he says, For the world, wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. The, the, the church in Corinth was, was starting to find their identity through the pastors and the teachers and the apostles that they sat under. They're starting to identify themselves by human leaders. You know, there's a problem on both ends when that's happening because to some extent a leader has to be telling his people, listen, you're not who you are because you sit under my teaching. You are who you are because Jesus Christ gave his life and lives inside of you. And I'm just someone that he uses to speak into your life. But you can't live off of what I say any more than I can live off of what you say. We both need to be going to the Father. And if he uses me once a week to speak into your life, awesome. But he better be using the spirit inside of you to speak into your life over and over again. Or you're not going to make it in this world. You can't live through me. I can't live through you. But we can live together pursuing the Father, pursuing him together. And Paul wants to nip this in the bud right away. Why? Because he doesn't have his identity tied to who looks up to him and calls him leader. When you have an insecure leader, they're all about building up themselves or their establishment because they want and they gain their identity through the people that are following them versus through the one that they're following. It's the truth. So here's Paul attacking that and confronting that right away. He just says, let's, let's get this out of the way right now. No more boasting in human leaders. No more. Does that mean you can't say, man, I love this guy, or man, I love that guy? No, he's saying no more boasting, no more thinking more of yourself because of who you sit under. No more thinking more of yourself because of the movement you're attached to. Come on, he says no more. He hears about this going on in the church, and right away he wants to address this in the church's infancy. You realize this stuff started as soon as church started. It's not new. The minute there was ability to find your identity in followers or to find your identity in who your leader was apart from Jesus, people jumped on it. Why? Because we are always looking for a way to define ourselves rather than allowing him to define us. When we become settled and established in that, in this truth that I'm, I'm a child of God, there's not really a whole lot that we can find that identifies us apart from that that would bring any smile to our face greater than the one we already have. That was free. He says, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. He says, listen, th these things actually belong to you. Why? Because they're gifts 
that Christ gave to the church. Who does the gift belong to? It belongs to the church. You don't belong to the gift. That's how cults start. That's how people get led astray against their own good sense and their own good judgment. And the whole time, the Holy Spirit is trying to lead them against it and tell them, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And he says all things, he tells the church, he says, listen, you don't belong to me. I belong to you. Because this same Paul would write in another place that Christ gave gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. He says he gave gifts. The gift belongs to the one it's given to. He says, I belong to you. That's why he said at the end, he said, my life's been poured out like a drink offering. He's saying, listen, I came here, God filled me with something, and I spent my life pouring that out for you. Not not for me. Not so that I could make a name for myself. Not so that I could have a following. Not so that I could build something of myself or of my own or of my name. He's saying, listen, I came here just to be poured out. And when I'm gone, there'll be other people who come along and they'll pour themselves out. And the thing that matters is that the church would be built into the unity of faith, not that I would be built into something greater than I am. So Paul, why? Because he's secure. He knows who he is. He's not looking to find his identity and who's following him. He says, it doesn't matter who you heard it from, Paul or Apollos or Cephas. He says, listen, it doesn't matter who you receive this stuff from. The truth of the matter is it's all from God and it all belongs to you anyways. Nobody paid for what they have. It was all a free gift because the only thing you can give freely is the things that you've received freely. So yeah, you may have spent your time seeking the Lord to gain that revelation, but the minute that you make it something that people have to earn from you, you've now turned it into a wage. Go read through the Word and see what it talks about wages and connects them to. It talks about now the free gift of grace, now the free gift of God, now the free gift of love. Over and over again, it talks about it being a free gift. I've given to you, now freely you've received, freely go and give. That which I receive from Christ, I now give also to you. I mean, you look through the Bible over and over again, and you see when people are receiving things from the Lord, the way that it's looked at is is as a free gift. And all of a sudden, Paul's saying, listen, now there's people out there that are trying to make a name for themselves, and you people are making it possible. Stop it. No more. That's why I don't like being even called pastor. I get people doing it out of respect, but it kind of freaks me out a little bit. I know, people are doing it to be honoring. And I I used to say, just call me Roy. Now, you call me whatever you want. I've been called way worse than pastor. That's fine. (laughs) But I'm saying, just make sure that we don't make a bigger deal of people than we ought to. And that we don't actually see that people that are, 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 are standing in an office or standing in a You see people walking in a gifting. It's to encourage you and inspire you and challenge you and spark you on and, 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 and encourage you to run this race. And it's to say this is what's available if you just go after the Lord. It, Paul talks about, you know, he says, by now you should be eating meat, but you, I still have to give you milk. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, there was a time where I thought I could come to you and you would share with me, but every time I come, you don't even know anything more than the last thing I gave you, so I have to regurgitate something else to you. I love talking to the people from this church because what I do, they start saying, hey, I was reading last week in Hebrews. Hey, you know what's cool? I saw this when I was reading. It happens almost every time I'm talking to people. We start talking about the Lord, and they start telling me what God's been showing them, what God's been revealing. It makes me feel like I'm succeeding in doing what I'm called to do because a body of believers is being built up to go after it for themselves and to grab something and chew it up and have something they can actually give to others rather than walking around hoping that mom has a worm. 
No, I'm serious. Listen, you're not a baby bird. If you are a new believer, there's a time. Milk is okay for a time. When you're first born, whether you're a human being or whether you're a cow or whether you're a baby bird, you need the parent to regurgitate something for you. You need something that's already been processed by them to be given to you so that you can actually process it and can do you good and you can absorb the nutrients. But that's only for a season. Some people are 40-year-old babies. And it's, it's partially to rest on the shoulders of the leadership for not letting the people know that, that what I'm doing is to empower you to go after this thing yourself. I'm not worried that you won't come here Sunday if you study Monday through Saturday. In fact, the more you study Monday through Saturday, the more you want to gather together with saints and worship and praise God. And maybe you come here thinking, I have a purpose and a reason for being part of this body of believers. And it's not just to come here and fill a seat and receive every week. I come here so full of God that if there's someone lacking, I can find them and I can go to them. I can minister to them and I can be used mightily of the Lord. And I want to gather with brothers and sisters and worship and spur them on and encourage them. I want to hear from God because this is where he's called me to be. And I want to hear from the people he's placed in authority over my life. That's part of it. But there's nothing in me that wants to keep you needful of me. And this is what Paul was saying. And I listen, I, this, I'm not saying this to say, like, look how I do it. I'm saying like this is the, the, the result of the gospel brings you to this place where you're not looking to be needed by people. You're comfortable and you're confident in who God's called you to be. We all need each other for the rest of our lives anyways, whether we go to church together or not. Because there's a part of the law of Christ that can only be fulfilled by bearing each other's burdens, which means what? You're necessary in my life, and I'm necessary in your life to fulfill the law of Christ. He said he put together these, and, and you know, when he talks about it, he says, now God placed them into the body. Do you realize that means that God has a place for you? He actually placed you somewhere. And if, if you just attend the church that you attend, even this church, because it's close to your house, or because your friend does, or whatever... Seek him on that. You may have ended up where he wants you to because sometimes, you know, God works in mysterious ways and you may have ended up here thinking that you were coming here because that girl that sat in the third row was cute or you might have came here because a friend invited you. Look, people end up in church for all different reasons. I started going to church I went to because it was the chance for me to hang out alone with Patty. (laughs) I learned real quick. I'm like, nobody else wants to go to youth group with her because her youth group is a little weird. (laughs) I'll go get her all to myself the whole ride there the whole ride back and part of the time that we're in the service i'm down (laughs) plus i was pursuing the lord and i was genuinely hungry for more of him but i'm saying this like if you only go somewhere because it was convenient or because your friend went just make sure that you're where god wants you to be because it says now god has placed them in the body each one individually meaning what that god has a place for you Find your place and allow him to cement you in until he decides to take you out. It always freaks me out when people just casually leave an assembly that not long ago they were telling you they know that they're there because God called them to be there. But yet they're leaving not because they feel like God told them to leave. Imagine somebody here, nobody leaves here. (laughs) Except for the right way. But there's other churches you can imagine No, seriously, though, listen, if we're doing these things because God called us to be somewhere, the only reason we would leave is God's called us to go somewhere else, and it should never be this bad thing. 
We should celebrate with each other and be like, man, maybe God sent you here for a time to receive something, and now he's sending you somewhere to pour out everything. Maybe you've established, and you've got little acorns all over the place, and you're just looking going, man, everybody around here has already got this. I'll find someone that doesn't. I didn't know where I'm at. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, this is where I wanted to get to. Oh, goodness, look at the time. It's zeros on the clock back there. When we had one service, it wasn't a problem. There's no problem. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19. Listen, God knew how much time we had before I got up here to speak, and if he's capable of doing it in two hours and making the sun stand still for people for 24 hours and making a day as to a thousand years, a thousand years, he's capable of speaking what he wants to speak in the time that he knew we had today before we gathered. It's not less spirit-led because you have a time constraint. Because maybe the spirit led you to put the time constraint in place so that more people could receive what he has. I know, I'm just stepping on some toes today, but it's the truth. Like we get this idea, oh, well, now that, now that those two services, there's a time. What if, what if the Spirit of God led, them to that, led us to this place of having two services because of what he's doing and it's for a season? What if he was fully capable of realizing that, that we have a time limit now and he only has this much time to convey what he wants to convey, but he's the one that brought us to only having that much time? It's not spirit, any less or more Spirit-led because you don't have a plan when you start. You know what? I'm gonna, next week we're going to talk about the the path, because I, I really I really want to talk about this just for a second, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna close up with this. Being flaky and undependable is not a fruit of the spirit. Because you speak in tongues doesn't mean that you should be less committed. Come on, I'm telling you, it's the truth. Because there's people that I know that don't believe that the gifts are for today, but they've faithfully drove a bus every single week for 40 years to get kids to a place where they can learn about Jesus. And one shouldn't come at the expense of the other. Jesus saying that the wind blows where it blows, and and you don't know where it comes from, but you see it, so it is with those who are born of the Spirit, doesn't mean there's no rhyme or reason to your life. It just means he, was, he wasn't even talking about that. He was talking about the fact that there would be evidence that the Spirit of God was in someone's life, even if you couldn't see a physical difference. That there would, you, he says, the wind blows and you see that it blows. In other words, when you look out and you see the trees moving, you don't know where the wind came from, but you know there's wind because you see something going on. You may not know exactly what's different about my life if you haven't sat down and talked to me, but you see there's something different if the Spirit of God is moving in my life because I'm being changed and I'm actually being transformed. And I'm not the person that I once was, because truth has come. This idea that, 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 that things are less spiritual because there's a plan in place. Do you realize that, that the God of the universe said exactly what material to cover what material with, to cover what material with when they were making an ark? He didn't say like, hey, I would love a, a box of some sort. Well, God, what would you like the box to be made out of? I don't know. I mean, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You figure it out. I'm not going to try to control you. What do you think? I'm going to quench the Spirit? He said, I want you to make it out of this wood. 
then I'd like you to cover it with this metal, then I'd like you to cover it with that metal, and then I'd like you to cover it with this fur. Here's how big I want it to be. Here's what I want it to look like. And then here's the crazy part. The people who constructed it were the first people that it says were filled with the Spirit. And it says they were filled with the Spirit for the purpose of being able to work with metal and with wood. Meaning what? Just because you knew exactly what God was calling you to do before you did it didn't mean that you didn't need to be filled with the Spirit to accomplish it. Oh, that's good. I never preached that before. A plan doesn't mean you don't need to be filled with the Spirit to carry it out. Because he told them exactly how to build it, and then he filled them with his Spirit to enable them to do exactly what he called them to do. You get rid of this idea that no plan means that you're filled with the Spirit. It could just mean that you're not seeking him and finding out exactly what he wants you to do sometimes. It could be a lazy way of living without commitment. Now, it could be sometimes he says, just go and I'll tell you. He does that too. But it's not one or the other. It's not either or. One doesn't exclude the other. Sometimes we've had lives that were so structured by religion that in a backlash against religion, we swerve into the other ditch and we leave behind the fact that he's a God of order and detail. He's not. Even if he told you exactly what he wants you to do, you still need to be filled with his spirit to accomplish it because it's probably greater than what you're capable of on your own. If not, it might not be his dream. He said, I want this thing crafted so perfectly that it's impossible for you to do it without being filled with my spirit. So I'll fill you with my spirit, even though we're in a different covenant where that's not even possible technically, because there's no way you can do what I'm calling you to unless I fill you with my spirit. Guess what? There's still no way you can do what he's called you to. Whether he lays the plan out for you or not, you're incapable of accomplishing what he's called you to without being filled by the spirit of God. God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for... I just, I love when you just come, God, and you just speak these truths to us that readjust us and recalibrate us, God. And, and I thank you for the word that you gave me last uh, week or, 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 or actually Monday this week for the, I know it's something I'll speak and probably next week if that's what you want. And I love that we can come together with a plan, but it's still subject to you, God. I just thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that everything that was spoke is what needed to be said, that we would be good soil. The problem's not with the work. So let us make sure that the soil is right. The soil's ready. We'll see it produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.